Wonderful. Um, so yes, my name is Kamara Lawrenson. I'm the Director of Advancement at the Institute for Molecular Bioscience at UQ in Brisbane, Australia. Um, and so this, because this is an internationally focused uh, webinar, I have the pleasure of saying both good morning, good afternoon, hello and kia ora to all of our guests who are joining us today. Um, so I am a member of our national or international working group around tertiary needs. And so when we got together and um, decided some of the themes and ideas that we wanted to explore for our colleagues in this space was definitely around the, the perpetually changing landscape in front of us and also being able to reflect on what has been um, just an indescribable year almost for, for change, but what we've learnt in that time and the insights that we've taken away from that and we hope to move those forward into the future. And out of that, we have been able to bring together this exceptional panel that you have before you today. So we're delighted to have Alex, Nick and Sheila joining us. Um, for those of you that were aware, we were supposed to be joined by Rebecca Hazel, who unfortunately, um, due to family business, was not able to be with us today. Um, so just to set the scene very quickly before um, I hand over to our panelists, because this is, as Sheila said, very much an interactive event. We really want you to participate as much as possible. So be sure that you are, if I do the finger down, pointing down in the Q&A box or in the chat box, please make sure you offer your, your questions, your valuable questions today. Um, so I'll start with the really negative. So out on the, the campus update that came earlier this week, for those of you who received this, um, they did a bit of a flash on the, the COVID-19 job crisis in our sector. And a couple of the key stats to come out of that um, from our friends at the Melbourne Centre for Study of Higher Education. So in the face of the COVID-19 crisis, it will end with something like 5,600 FTA, FTE continuing appointments um, disappearing. Um, and actually more specifically in the casual and fixed term research workforce, there's a further seven and a half thousand FTE positions. And when you turn that into human beings, that's something like 17 and a half thousand people that will be exiting the sector in the near future. And the report also put forward that the pandemic's revenue impact in universities in 2020 will be over 3.8 billion. So, and we've obviously in our own, own workspaces, we're seeing the impact of that. So if I can get you to roll your minds back to a more positive time in this year, just at the end of February, right before the, the axis changed the dial completely, we'd obviously put a lot of eyeballs towards what was happening with bushfires and that was the worst thing um, in our vantage at that point. But at that time, the Australian communities, and I do, I do apologise, Sheila, because I recognise that these are Australian-based stats, um, but at that point, the Australian Communities 2020 report put forward that two in three or more than 65% of Australians were inclined to support in their own backyard. Flash forward to now, we, we can see that the giving behaviours um, astronomically have changed in that space, given that we're all focusing on a, a global issue that is impacting anybody in their own backyard. Um, the Gen Z and Gen Y were increasing their giving behaviours at a faster rate than more senior generations. And I'm sure that our friends here today will attest that that behaviour suddenly changed um, in the last six months as well. Um, giving declines um, in financial times, as we all know, um, and only 16% of the responders at that time had said that they'd adjusted upwards their giving in the last five years. So we are obviously sitting at the precipice of the financial crisis and we don't yet know what is going to lie ahead us in the next two to three years. Um, but overwhelmingly, donors are looking for a more personalised and meaningful experience. And so we've come through a terrain where the ability to offer that has very much sat with the frame of the Brady Bunch. Um, so it'll be fantastic to hear from our panel today how in the face of some of those challenges, they've both discovered some really significant insights. They've been able to fast track some changes within their teams and their, their strategies that perhaps they hadn't put up as a priority to that point, um, but also what they've, what they've learnt and what they're going to take forward into their 2021 strategy building and beyond. So 
to frame this for you, we'll have each of our um, each of our panelists are going to take five minutes to give you a bit of their insights. And so we have. I'm not going to read their bios out. They're on the website. I don't want to cut into any of their valuable time. But our presenters today, Alex Furman is the Director of Development at the University of Melbourne. Uh, we have lucky to have Nick Jaffa with us, who is the President and CEO of Global Philanthropic Asia Pacific. And we're also delighted to have with us Sheila Murray, who is the Director of Development and Alumni Relations at the University of Otago. Over to you, Alex, first. Fantastic. Um, so, uh, Kamara and uh, Sheila, firstly, I just want to um, acknowledge Educate Plus and thank you for the opportunity to be here um, and to talk to everyone who's online today. Um, and also just to acknowledge my colleagues back at the University of Melbourne. So in, in coming to, to appear with uh, the other, the other panellists here today, um, I took some, some soundings and insight from colleagues. So what I'm bringing forward here is very much a reflection um, of, of their views. I just want to acknowledge Nick and Sheila as well. It's great to be here with you both. So I suspect we're going to all say um, uh, things that are fairly commonly themed. So um, I'll, I'll try and be succinct um, uh, in terms of, of what we've been observing. So I suppose thinking about the, the theme today, where do we start? When, when this pandemic hit, of course, none of us could, could uh, imagine uh, what would, would unfold and, and what the, the last six months would have looked like. I suppose at the university, we were very fortunate to have the Doherty Institute, which has played a, a very central role, certainly in terms of um, some of the public uh, policy work in Victoria and to some extent nationally as well. Um, and as advancement, we've had a, a, a wonderful opportunity to get behind the Doherty um, and to respond to a lot of interest um, in the work that's happening there. So that's been a really important opportunity for us. But where it starts with us, I think, is um, with people. So I know we've got a lot of P's in the title today. Um, but with our people, it really all started um, as, as we started to realise the extent and what we'd be facing as an institution. It started with our staff and teams. So we've tried to really um, imagine and understand from day one what the impact is, um, primarily on our staff from the get-go, and then thinking about how that translates into all of our different stakeholders and audiences um, and relationships, obviously donors and alumni, volunteers, mentors, uh, other colleagues, the industry and, and beyond. So a practical example is um, we've been holding a, an, an already paid tribute to Nick Blinko, our Vice President, Nick has, a bit like our Premier in Victoria, every Monday morning uh, stood up and we hold, hold what's called a stand-up and we've had an extraordinary attendance. Every single week, 100 people have come so that we can come together, um, reflect on whatever the latest updates are and sometimes there's good news and sometimes there's been some really tough news. But that experience of walking that journey together, I think, has been really important. What becomes clear for us is that obviously your mission is, is entirely, you know, it's absolutely critical and fundamental. So um, in thinking about all the things that I know many us have done and particularly a focus on stewardship, it's really bringing those messages back to your mission. And through the lens of the Doherty um, and through the lens of the university, we've been able to pivot and focus on some really important areas. One is a response to the pandemic um, and that's expressed itself in two ways. One, in terms of some programs around research support. Um, but like many here, um, students are really at the heart of what we do. Um, and it's been the emergency appeals that we've all done and, and at Melbourne that we've done in support of students that have really resonated. Um, and where people haven't given, um, it's allowed us to, to certainly engage and get their thoughts. So not only just through the giving, but, but just simply through engagement um, has given us some really important insights. So I'm going to continue on all of these themes of P. Um, we've learnt there's no such thing as perfect. So I think we've all had to obviously adapt and, and jump into work very quickly, take risks, do things where the normal course of planning um, and, and the way that we might approach things, you've just got to let that go um, and jump into the deep end. And I have just been so inspired um, 
by, by my colleagues um, and by the work that's been done in advancement, and I know that's been done every, everywhere else, for people to just get extraordinary uh, opportunities together quickly, whether it's a donor proposal, whether it's webinars like this that we, we've held on behalf of the Doherty, um, and many other forms of engagement, um, reaching out to volunteers, reaching out to mentors. Um, people have really just risen to the task um, and, and jumped in the deep end and been prepared to take risks. I think there's been something for us about focusing on the fundamentals. So um, in the development and the fundraising space in particular, um, we all know there is, um, you know, the rigour and discipline of your work plan is really important, um, particularly when it comes to focusing on your prospects and your pipeline. So obviously appropriately and, and recognising the external environment, um, we've really doubled down in, in that area. Um, and, and looked at the opportunity to just continue conversations and build relationships for the long term. And I think that's been really important. And I suppose I'm, I'm realising I'm getting to the end of my time, managing through that doubt and uncertainty. And I think that comes back uh, to the communication. So communication with the staff, obviously communicating with our audiences has been key. So we've done big care call calling programs, really that engagement and reaching out to our stakeholders has been critical. I think I'm probably at time. That's probably enough. I, I will go on and on if you if you don't stop me. So I'm going to halt there um, so that others can have a say. Doesn't mean you get to swallow up the extra time, Nick. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but I will... I'll pass the baton forward. All right. Thanks very much, Kamara. And uh, thanks, Alex. That was a really uh, helpful uh, context setting. I think uh, I got a lot out of that conversation. And did I effectively reinforce some of the things that we're seeing with our clients? Uh, both in Australia as well as internationally in the UK, uh, Asia as well as uh, as well as North America, which which is an interesting place to to look at. Um, let me pick up on a couple of points you mentioned, and the first I suppose is the fact that what we're seeing now is very different than what what I think we originally saw when this whole whole COVID nineteen pandemic started. Uh, you know, initially around that time, I think the the thing I most often heard both from colleagues as well as from clients was we never want to waste a crisis. Um, and I think that that kind of holds true. I think the crisis has changed, however. What it has allowed us to do, if we're looking at it, is to actually think about innovation, to think about how we can be bolder in terms of what we want to do and how we want to actually modernize our programs. And so we're seeing a real change in terms of how thinking is. And I'm going to pick up a point you mentioned, uh, Alex, and that was about uh, bringing your people together and sort of focusing on on uh, your priorities because I think one of the things that came out of this exercise for a lot of our clients and, and a lot of the ones that uh, we're currently working with uh, who are in schools as well as in residential colleges is really understanding what we're going to do like the Doherty Institute what are we going to prioritize but actually also understanding what we're not going to do and which things can we sort of move off to the side and really focus on things that are going to give us the biggest outcome and the biggest biggest impact. And I think that that's going to be a key focus going forward uh, out of this COVID-19 pandemic. But I think it's certainly one of the things that allowed us and our clients to be able to maintain uh, some pace as things are moving forward. So I think that that's been you know, incredibly important. You talked about people and, and people I think is, you know, we all know when we talk about cases for support or we talk about engagement, it's about relating it back to people. When we think about people and we think about the work we've done with clients, one of the things that I've seen is that if we can actually create a solid team internally uh, and we can create that level of engagement, then we can actually start to advance our, our solutions for institutions much more effectively and we can start to bring about successful programs much more effectively. Uh, you know, we, we did a webinar on Wednesday with residential colleges, and, and I know that there are a few residential colleges in, in this one. The challenges for residential colleges may be different than what we see in universities. I mean, if you look at residential colleges, uh, you know, the thinking with, with them and with some boarding schools we're working with is about how do you look after students in that situation? How do you actually get them home safely? How do you actually look after uh, and provide that care, not only for your staff as well as for your alumni but how do you actually provide that care for your students and how do you provide that care for for your community and, and what we're trying to create in institutions is a strong sense of community 
Uh, community, I think, is probably the key thing for us going forward. And I think if you look at advancement, one of the key outcomes of this is that we're now starting to see a much higher level of integration with our clients. We're seeing alumni relations working much more effectively and much more closely with uh, advancement or fundraising. We're seeing much more closer integration between uh, engagement, uh, fundraising, as well as communications and marketing. And those communications and marketing are looking at how do we actually drive the message about participation and involvement of staff, involvement academics uh, to drive our, our fundraising mission, as well as how do we communicate effectively to our, to our stakeholders externally. Now I know that we can sort of get caught up a bit on fundraising and I think one of the things that we, I wanted to talk about in, in my five minutes is about the importance of alumni engagement and the changes in alumni engagement that we're seeing. So uh, we work with a number of institutions in, in alumni advisory services. And one of the things that we've seen, certainly technologically driven, is a move from, from in-person events and, and in-person engagement to much more technology-based communication and involvement. I don't think that that's going to change in the future. I think that that's actually going to be uh, very much part and parcel of our program. And I think it's going to be a very effective outcome of this, of COVID-19. So in this current context, we're seeing engagement through everything from, from surveys, which I mentioned uh, previously when we were talking about this about a week ago, and surveying our respondents and finding out how to engage them in a more effective way, finding out what's their interest, what in fact are their passions, and how can we double down, as Alex said, to build those relationships? What's of value to them, and how do we actually understand what our value proposition is to them. Uh, again, aligning to what we want to do versus what we don't want to do. And how do we actually direct our resources in a much more effective way? We're also seeing much more shorter, sharper, more accessible engagement and communication. So rather than going to canapes and cocktails, we're really focused now on content. How do we actually identify the right content to connect to our constituents? How do we in fact use our prospects? And one of the things that we're seeing uh, with a couple of institutions is, is using our major gift prospects to deliver guest lectures or webinars for students through Zoom or Teams uh, to affect them to, to connect our students and to connect our prospects in a much more meaningful way. So how do we actually drive that forward to be able to use it uh, uh, much more powerfully? I don't I'm know if you have to get unique to pass that baton forward now. Okay. Um, but I know we've got some fabulous points that we'll be able to pick up in the Q&A section as well. Okay, all right. Sheila, over to you. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Uh, thank you, Educate Plus, for the opportunity. Um, I just want to give some very quick, brief New Zealand context around this. So in New Zealand, we, um, during February and March, we had levels one to three uh, implemented around the COVID pandemic. But then on the 23rd of March, the government announced that we were going to go to level four lockdown um, so, and we had 24 hours to do that. And the lockdown in New Zealand was a complete lockdown. We had nothing. We had um, supermarkets open and some petrol stations and that was it. And so um, on the 23rd of March, I had uh, 24 hours to get my team um, scrambled and mobile and working from home and we did it. So really by the next morning, um, all of the team were home. They had all of the gear they needed. And I want to acknowledge um, my colleagues and my team um, because certainly um, everyone, I think, has come through that in a fantastic way. Uh, so we were in lockdown for seven weeks. So for seven weeks, um, we were completely uh, at home. And I just want to acknowledge that for a lot of that, uh, some of that team members, that was quite stressful. Um, we had uh, team members do it in very different situations. So for some, it was a, a great relief um, to be able to work from home. For others, it was uh, added stress with young children and kids at home. So I want to acknowledge that. Um, so in the context of what we learned and what we did at Otago, um, I think there were three key words that I'd like to mention in my very quick five minutes. They were kindness. We were certainly um, being kind and empathetic to everyone's situation. Communication, being really open and communicating a lot more um, and being really flexible. And then the extra word is Zoom. <laughs> All of a sudden, Zoom was the new in thing. So um, I, would be, I was spending seven, eight hours a day on Zoom. So, you know, and before that, and Zoom was definitely a novelty. So with my team, it all, it all um, was really important for them to be able to do what they needed to do for Otago, but do it at, from home. And I think we came through that remarkably. And we've certainly had some amazing challenges and some amazing successes. 
One of the first things we did was made sure as a team and as a division, so we're part of external engagement within the University of Otago, that we stayed in touch. So every morning at 9am, all of us directors, we had a 9am meeting. So we had to be up, we had to be dressed, we had to look good. Might have had our um, tracky pants on, <laughs> but we, you know, and we had to be focused and working. And we did the same thing with my team. So every morning and afternoon, we had a virtual um, morning and afternoon tea. And that was just to catch up. So you just had got on, on Zoom and you had a cup of tea and you just talked to people. So for that, that was really important, that connection, that communication. So um, Nick touched on new, new things. Uh, we introduced very rapidly, and this is um, credit to my team, a new um, online at-home newsletter to all alumni. It had remarkable success. The uptake was enormous and huge, and we've continued with that um, to this day. So we've just called it At Home, um, and it's a, a newsletter that has just been really great at updating all our alumni globally on what Otago is up to. We had fun. We tried to have fun. So within all the stresses of being in lockdown, we had some themed get-togethers. We made sure we celebrated every and all successes, small or big. Um, and we also uh, spent a lot of time talking to people. So one of the things we did as fundraisers, obviously you couldn't be out there, was we actually segmented all our donor groups and allocated systematic calling of our donors. So we actually were just checking in. We weren't asking for money. We were going out there and calling all our donors and saying, just ring to say hi, see how you're going, any feedback. And, and what came out of that was some amazing information that now has um, fed the database. So we've got some great information that now has a result of those calls. And we've also had a lot more donations. So one of the successes for us has been that personalised stewardship, which has been around talking to people and back to the old-fashioned writing letters, you know, putting cards and sending our stuff in the mail because that still was working. And um, we introduced very quickly at Otago a need which was identified by our Vice-Chancellor around student hardship. So our students were, were, were hit hard, no, no work. Um, and obviously um, a lot of them had got a lot of debt. So she introduced a um, student hardship fund called Putia Toko, and that has been a fantastic success. We've attracted 700 new donors to University of Otago from that appeal. And we're on track to be raising half a million dollars in, in the five months since we launched it. And the university put in 1.5 million of their own money to put that. And we've allocated out in student hardship, 2.7 million already to date, that was this week. So it's been an amazing success story in the way we talk about how we've actually um, garnered this, the support of our alumni, our donors all around the world. Um, and we've actually managed to also ask donors, why did they give to that and got some fantastic information. So for us, um, you know, the, the main things I wanna talk about is what um, Nick and Alex have both talked about, people, um, and also about um, being having the right content. So just going to touch on what Alex talk, um, Nick said about that. I mean, they were important learnings for us, and certainly we've um, done really well in that way. Oh, I didn't get the course. Maybe I'm still on, on track. You're doing very well, Sheila. You get the you get the gold star for staying on time. Um, but it was wonderful to hear. <laughs> it was wonderful to hear you talk about, and it, it was a theme across all three synopsises, um, the importance of relationships, which yeah. is both internal and externally focused. Um, so we have got some very patient or some very shy attendees today um, because our Q&A has not exactly been lit up, which is wonderful for me because that means I get to fire off the first question by default. Um, there's some really great examples there, but if you had to pinpoint just one of your biggest learnings in 2020 to each of you now, what would it be? Nick? I'll, I'll go first. Um, I, think, I think the first thing I think I'd, I'd focus on is the importance of stewardship, uh, mm -hmm. as everyone's talked about. And I think stewardship if we're doing it properly, is about effectively understanding how to meaningfully engage someone and how to look after them. So, you know, we talk in fundraising about asking for a gift, and I think Sheila highlighted this point very well. The importance of asking how people are, uh, I think, has become increasingly important. I think it creates, you know, effective stewardship, we all know, creates an effective fundraising program, affects a, creates a much more efficient fundraising program. But that particular initiative, that particular effort about looking after people uh, and focusing on ensuring that you're retaining your donors and growing your support around your biggest priorities, I think is certainly critical for, for institutions coming out of this. 
Sheila? I'll touch on that. I'll just say, I'll add to that and say that I absolutely agree with Nick. And I think, you know, online, in line with that communication. So, you know, that communication with your team members, your colleagues, um, but also with your, you know, major donors and your alumni just became so important. And getting back to basics of actually talking to people and um, people now have the time to talk with you. You know, quite often prior to lockdown and COVID, you know, you couldn't actually get hold of these people if they were donors. So for us, that communication, that personalised stewardship, um, but I also want to go back to what um, our, our Prime Minister talks about a lot. It's about kindness, you know, being kind. So I think that was another factor about what we did at Otago. We actually, um, you know, were really kind in, in internally and externally. Sheila, can you um, illustrate that a bit more for us? So in terms of offering that kindness to your, whether they be your donors or your alumni, what did that look like? Um, so I think, um, I think it's a sense of being really um, empathetic about... Um, and, and acknowledging that you know everyone was going through a really tough time, you know, and um, and it was it was one of these situations no one had ever ever thought we would be in, um, and so being kind about um, the understanding expectations of what you were going to get back, so mm -hmm. not actually wanting to ask for money, but actually just as Nick said, um, checking in, um, talking to people, and I think that kindness was also reflected in what we did as, as colleagues with each other. So the expectations of us being able to not understand that within a team of, you know, of 28 or 24, you know, some of us were coping much better than others. So, you know, and the ones that, that weren't coping, well, that was absolutely okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it was reflected in lots of really small, meaningful ways. Kamira, can I pick up a, a, that point a bit? Because I think mm. it's such an important one. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to tell you a, a quick story about a, a client or a university I'm working with in Lebanon. Um, so, you know, they've gone through a revolution uh, late last year. Uh, they've got COVID-19, and then, of course, they had that explosion that, that happened. And so if you look at kindness, one of the really interesting things that's happened at that institution in terms of how they responded is taking care not only of their students who may be suffering financially, but looking at what they can actually look after for families who have lost lives or for staff members who, in fact, need care because they've lost homes. So we've seen this with a, a college we're working with as well, uh, where someone, someone's house burned down in, in the bushfire, uh, and they actually offered their uh, residence uh, to that person to stay in uh, while he was recovering and while he was going through it. And we've seen the same thing with our, with our uh, university in Lebanon, who in fact offered places for families and staff members to actually stay at the school or at the university. Uh, in their residential uh, residential call, uh, dorms uh, for families who were just struggling for that. So that to me, I think is a real show about looking after your people and exhibiting that kind of kindness in a, in a world that for us, uh, you know, I, I don't know that any of us can really relate uh, to what's happening in Lebanon, like, like it might be bad here in Australia or New Zealand. It's completely different. There, so. And is there yeah. something for us here in Ernest? Australia, New Zealand landscape, like we are operating in a in a different different environment than some of the more um, urgent, um, really undeniably awful situations over overseas. So, uh, how we, how have you, through each of your different approaches, be it with clients for you, Nick, or with your teams, um, Sheila or Alex, how have you kind of localized what you're doing but dealing with a, a big conversation or a global conversation or an ambience that sits above that yeah i might jump in here and just i suppose it partially relates to what we we're just saying about the kindness um so certainly we've experienced that and obviously done the, the, the same sorts of things care calls um lots of engagement i was just going to make the point that what we've found is that actually comes back the other way so as higher education in Australia has particularly been hit hard, um, we haven't just done these calls once, we've repeatedly checked in. And we've found that some people have actually come back and checked in on us to say, we know things are bad in universities, how are you going? And so, I mean, that's really elevating relationships to, a, to another level, which has been really humbling to, to actually experience. Um, I think the other point I was gonna make is, you know, we, we've really tried to embrace risk. So what we've found is, things that we thought would be difficult or challenging 
and would normally go through some sort of you know prioritization process we've just jumped on opportunity um, so so a good example of that um, for us is you know our internal stakeholder engagement to deliver things like um, for example I've got a note here things we do with our alumni community so facilitating for example you know recruitment uh, virtual recruitment, um, we, we've had things to do with the medical faculty where we've moved online for the delivery of webinars to share information about telehealth, um, career roundtables, these sorts of things. Normally we, we, we would find these things difficult to activate, um, but what we found is people have really jumped on board and embraced the opportunity. And I think to get back to your question, Kamara, I think for us that, that's been a really key learning, which is really what you thought might be hard or difficult or not even possible actually can be done. No, that's a fantastic point. And um, I was actually talking to someone in your team just this morning who you, you snitched him away from us at the start of the year. And we do forget up here in Queensland where we have access to a lot of things and it's a very different landscape than people who only get an hour out of the house each day. And um, sometimes it's the, the garden at the back of their their unit that is their connection with the world. I'm delighted to see that we've got some questions coming through. Um, Sheila, did we want to give the opportunity to Lani to ask her question in, to the panellists no, herself? Um, I'll just... Lani, uh, if you would like to talk, go ahead. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, great. I wasn't expecting that. Um, Hi, I'm from the University of Melbourne. Um, so my question was sort of to your point, camera. we're still in lockdown. <laughs> We've been in lockdown for about six months and some of, um, which has been challenging in many ways, but we have had a lot of success with more people attending some of our online events um, and that kind of thing. I think I was worried about face-to-face -face meetings when this first happened and really we've had lots of really meaningful phone calls. Um, one thing I found difficult is sometimes reading someone's body language when you're making an ask on the phone. That can be quite difficult. But something's been successful, something's been tricky. And I just wanted to ask the panellists, particularly those that are out of lockdown, what um, was successful that you're going to continue after, you know, you continue once you're back in the world and working and what things you may, may not perhaps. So I thought Zoom meetings, donor meetings, not just um, with donors, but also in the work environment. Fantastic question. Absolutely wonderful question. Um, Sheila, did you want to field that one first? Um, we've certainly continued with the calling, the check-in calling and the thank you calling. So as I mentioned, we've got you know, 700 new donors to this uh, Student Hardship Appeal and um, we've been allocating out those significant gifts um, to all of our development managers to be calling and just saying thank you and connecting because most of them are first-time donors. So and actually you know, asking them why they donated. Um, so we've actually been getting some great compelling quotes and information that we can use for our future fundraising. So I think we'll continue with that. Um, Zoom has become the new normal. So quite often, you know, even though we're back at work, we're back at the offices, we are still Zooming because sometimes people feel more comfortable not actually coming into something or we still are Zooming with um, our colleagues in other parts of New Zealand. So. I think Zoom will continue on. You know, it's, it's, it's been a new thing since COVID and I think it will continue to be a regular part of our um, communication tools. Moving and I think it's, it's that piece of it's made the world smaller, hasn't it, Sheila? Yeah. There's people internationally yeah. that we've had to get on a plane and cultivate yeah. those relationships. Yeah. And now um, they can be so much closer to key representatives across the institutions as yeah. well. It's yeah. not just the individual, which is fantastic. Exactly. Yeah, one example for us has been our UK, our US charity um, and our US board of directors. So they have been wanting to get, get engaged. And so we um, worked with our alumni engagement manager, Danella, and we've been putting on regular webinars for them. So they have been engaging with their US-based alumni, but we've been helping them facilitate that because, you know, they've all been in lockdown in New York and San Francisco for absolutely forever. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think also touching on Alex's point from a little bit earlier around how much digital um, engagement comms has come out of the Zoom space, it's really easy to, like today, tape a webinar and then perpetuate greater, greater take up of that because people can engage with that content in their own time. And so it can be a bit more bespoke for what their needs are rather than us as the institution trying to drive the engagement on our terms. So it's been very powerful from that perspective. Alex? I'm not sure, did you want to answer Lani's question or um, are you singing from the same songbook, given that you're both Uni of Melbourne? 
Um, yes, I, 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 we're very much singing from the same uh, songbook and the international piece is a really important one. Um, and I would certainly expect, obviously, we all anticipate international travel um, could be curtailed for some years into the future. So certainly I think um, you can add Zoom as a very legitimate and meaningful form of engagement. Um, and I think what it creates is a whole new opportunity around immediacy um, and, and being able to convey things very quickly. So yeah. I certainly see that as being very important. But Nick, I might hand over to you. Yeah. And Lani and I can chat at other yeah, times. <laughs> Alex, thanks very much. I, I would only add this. I mean, if I sort of look at our uh, American institutions, one of the things that I've seen from them is they've been very quick uh, to look uh, to Asia in terms of fundraising because uh, of obviously what's happening in the U.S. Uh, Asia is recovering much quicker, South Korea, China. Uh, so there's more uh, activity there. Uh, we do have people on the ground in, in uh, Hong Kong. So it's actually allowed us to start to engage face-to-face -face with people. Uh, uh, but I imagine those team, Nick, have been going through their own hardship in light of things happening in Hong Kong this year too. Yeah, it's been very challenging there. Um, the close downs that they've had initially uh, around the violence and, and things that are happening there have been really quite, uh, quite confronting. Um, it's interesting because, of course, the close down in Hong Kong started uh, much, much earlier than uh, it did in, uh, in the rest of the world. We started... We started here probably, I think, mid-March, and I think uh, they started it uh, February 13th or something like that, or February 8th, uh, I think, is when they first started it. So it, um, they reacted positively and they reacted quickly, but, you know, as a result, uh, it's allowed them now to, to begin face-to-face -face engagement in a much more active and regular way. So the American institutions that we work with uh, as clients have actually started to look, uh, look there uh, much more act, uh, actively. And I think that notion that you talked about proximity and how everyone's closer, I think is really, really important. We need to be thinking of our community, not just ones that are in our own city, but start to think of our prospects and our major gift stakeholders internationally. And who in fact may be quicker on the road to recovery that we can now start to engage with and, and get involved in the process of, of advancing our uh, mission and, and our vision as an institution. So, Fantastic point. Um, Sheila, um, Sheila from Sydney, I can see we've got a great question from John Godfrey here around um, the styles of communication. John, did you want to ask that question in real time? No, he's leaving his mute on, perhaps not. I might ask it for you, John. Sorry. Uh, thanks. I think it's actually already been answered um, in, in, in someone's, uh, in fact, Sheila herself saying that she's going to continue to communicate uh, both by telephone and then there was general discussion about everyone's pivoting to um, digital communications. And, you know, I think that's a great thing. It's, it's, it's great to hear that. And thank you. Okay, fantastic. But I mean, to that point, I've had um, solicitation conversations on the phone this year for six figures, and it's very difficult to understand how people are interacting with that ask when you don't have the visual aids of watching whether or not the foot's twitching. So for, for each of you, how are you developing your behavioural understandings in these new communication or, or these old school communication means? How are you listening to the people through the phone? How are you managing the ask in that space? Well, I might defer to uh, Alex and Sheila because of course we're not doing asks in those spaces <laughs> yeah. uh, as much as we're working with our clients in that space. But I will say, you know, just speaking on behalf of our clients, we are having uh, ones that are actually having to do that uh, and they have been successful. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate we can see them tap their feet, but I think we can see them face to face and see how they engage. Uh, so I've done a number of feasibility study interviews, um, all via Zoom or all via uh, Teams, uh, and you can still see that level of engagement. And I think one of the things that you can see is how people actually relate. So if we take the time uh, to listen and actually talk to people, uh, then I think they can become involved in the process and they can become involved in it. Uh, we've certainly seen that through feasibility studies, and certainly, as I said, our clients are seeing that. In terms of the gifts that they're receiving uh, and uh, and securing through uh, through telephone or through uh, through Zoom, so 
Sheila, what's been your experience? Um, I think, sorry, just from my experience, I think um, the conversations we're having around that are with people we know, we know well. So they're not, they're not, um, we're not pursuing conversations with people that are, are cold. You know, they, they are probably conversations that have been going on for a while that we have um, been involved with them in, in different ways. Um, they might be coming to the end of a, of a, of a, a stewardship activity that has culminated in this kind of, of, of ask. So I, I think it's probably um, easier if you um, have that relationship. Um, and I think that's probably um, one of the keys that, you know, we've been focusing on. It's people that we know and people that we have been engaged with. And um, we've done a lot of that prospect research and we are aware of what their cues are before we actually go down that road. And it almost reinforces that renewed vigour around stewardship because if you're going to pursue this strategy into the future, you need that stewardship to have been occurring for a prolonged period to have a warm conversation over the phone. Yeah. And I think I'd reflect that too. I mean, I think obviously all the cues of really careful listening and how you frame the question um, become very important. I think the segment as well. So we did a, a major donor calling program as well as regular giving. Um, so obviously these asks are at different levels. Um, mm. And Sheila, we, we had both existing and also uh, new cohorts identified for that. Mm. Um, so obviously then it comes down to, to how you present the case mm. is really important. But another piece of work we did, which we loosely called purposeful conversations, was to try and anticipate what these responses would be mm. and do some internal training and just really reflect on well, what, what are people likely to say and respond and to try and workshop um, some answers. So people were very prepared uh, to respond to a range of, of, of different um, you know, answers to, to what was, was occurring in the conversation or the Zoom call, you know, and right across the spectrum too. And we contemplated the fact that some people might feel um, very aggrieved about being asked um, at this particular time or what the difficult circumstances were so that people weren't left in a, a vulnerable position. Um, I think that was an important piece of work. Um, I can see that the, in the chat there's a, um, an important question there from Robert Heather. I didn't know, Robert, do you want to put that question forward yourself? And it probably leads nicely into Colin Taylor's question around leadership in, in the current climate. Yeah, hi, it's Robert at University of New England in Armidale. And um, look, one of the things we are concerned about is just the continuous coverage of the university sector has been sort of bad news stories, basically. And so how do you think that's impacting upon people's giving uh, in general? And, and what are some of the tactics and strategies to help address it? Um, I'll just quickly say that one of the things we've done is we've focused on the good sto stories that we have. So, uh, Targo academics have led a lot of the COVID um, response from the government and given informed information to the government. They've been um, very high in the media around the, the vaccine and, um, and New Zealand's response. So we focused on the stories that we can tell that were positive and people were, were willing to listen to. Obviously, the other one was the student hardship, uh, the Putia Tautoko Fund, which um, was led by the Vice-Chancellor and um, we went out with a video of that as well. And I think the thing for us was the storytelling that was being positive in a, in a negative area, in a negative situation. So being selective about what we could talk about and getting, um, you know, responses from alumni and donors around those stories. And I'd reflect a similar thing. I think I said earlier, mission is key. And I suppose when you think about it, the way we might identify people um, who become our supporters is there will be some sort of alignment. So we're finding obviously people are very, very concerned um, about the impacts on higher education. So in that respect, we are talking um, to a very receptive and sympathetic audience mm, yeah. in that regard. I think the thing, um, Robert, that's gonna have the really big impact is people's available capital. You know, The bottom line is what, what sort of money will people have next year? And I think it sort of comes up in the next question, question yeah. around, are people actually in a position to make gifts? Um, so we can come to that in a minute, but um, you know, our experience has been positive, um, mm. but the real question is, what are people's capacity right now? You know, we're also mm. hearing so many stories about, we'd love to help you more, but mm. you know, my son's just lost his job, or this is what's happening with my grandkids, or mm. uh, the, the family circumstance and the wider circumstance, or they own a business is, is, uh, is really serious for some people. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And I think you, you touch on that nicely, Alex. We potentially don't understand the landscape of 2021 yet. No, exactly. As we see the jobs and employment getting prepared to change yet again. Yeah. Um, and not just in our sector, obviously across all different industries and all different areas of life. Um, Colin, I'd, I'd love to segue into your question now because I think uh, our three panellists are well-placed to tell us about how they've approached their leadership style in this in the face of these challenges of 2020. Um, did you want to ask your question? I have two uh, people logged in as Colin Taylor, so I've unmuted both. So whichever one of you put the question in, go ahead. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks very much for this, this tremendous panel. Very quickly, my question is, it's about reflection. <clears throat> when you look at the crisis so far, and we're not over yet, right? Um, what's the single most important action you've taken as leaders to hold your team together? So if you had to pick a single thing, what's the thing that made the biggest difference? Um, good question to ask our teams, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, I think that the single thing that I probably could have done was to lead from the front. So to actually acknowledge that, you know, I was having good days and bad days, you know, and that I was also struggling and acknowledging that there was times that um, as a team, we needed to be helping each other. So as I said, I think in my five minutes, we, we had these regular um, informal Zoom catch up morning and afternoon teas um, every day. And, you know, it was completely voluntary that if you Zoomed in and, and sat with your cup of tea and had a chat and it was just a chat and a check in. And I think the thing that we found is that most people looked forward to that opportunity and nearly everybody took up that opportunity. So I think it was about um, supporting your, 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 your team, acknowledging that, um, you know, everything wasn't okay. Um, and, and it was okay to not feel okay. And what can we do to help you? Um, and acknowledging that um, not everyone was performing at the same level. So, you know, we've got team members who were struggling at home with young kids. Um, you know, and trying to homeschool them as well, you know, remotely, which is, from what I understand, very difficult to do. Um, my kids are all grown up now. So I think it was about the empathy um, and certainly for me, um, being part of that team. Um, and, you know, and as, as directors, we all um, were very conscious of the fact that we had to be there and support them and acknowledge that, you know, it was okay to not be okay. I think that's a fantastic point, Sheila. And I, I mean, myself, I, I, I really struggled with there's my role as a, a director and a leader. And then there's my role as a mother that nobody really gets to see too far into. Well, that, that's thrown out the window now as I have team meetings that have screenshots of me with somebody with the Chewbacca mask running in the background, swiping at me with a, a rubber sword. Um, and, and how do you start to reconcile how much you've let your team into your authentic self and it's usually really most scenarios are it's turned out to be quite positive for, for leaders in this space i think it's a really good point i think what's happened is we actually all be, have all um acknowledged and understand our personal lives of, it, of our team members a lot better through this experience you know we've all seen that situation you know we've had kids running around naked in the background we've had dogs barking cats on laps and so I think we've all sort of acknowledged that um, and understood a bit more people's personal circumstances. Very positive. Um, Nick or Alex, did, who wanted to go next? Yeah. Well, I'll add my two cents. My, uh, the reality is, you know, as, as consultants, we've been operating uh, uh, regionally or locally um, for the last dozen years. So this actually isolation that people are going through right now is something we've been literally operating with for, you know, for some of us for 12 years. Uh, and for others, probably uh, a bit less, but it's something we've been very used to. Uh, you know, I think Sheila captured it really well in terms of providing understanding, providing empathy, I think is is critical. Uh, and just giving people latitude to um, to have that family time and to, uh, and to take time for themselves. And one of the things that I've tried to do, uh, you know, Colin, uh, Colin would know because he's on my team, but one of the things I've tried to do is just simply encourage communication around the group and, you know, uh, one of the things that we introduced uh, was literally Friday afternoon drinks just to catch mm -hmm. up and uh, and sort of introduce that just to uh, not talk work, but literally just uh, yeah. make sure people were okay. And I think that mm -hmm. that's important. Uh, yeah. The only other ad addition thing I think that would make is is humor, I think is, is critical. I think uh, yeah. 
bringing humor and having a sense of humor and actually making uh, and giving people an opportunity to laugh and enjoy themselves, uh, I think is critical because the stress levels that we all feel uh, from either the pressure from outside or even the things that you see on the news can be quite overwhelming. And I think um, just having, having that uh, ability to use laughter and to use humor to, uh, to provide some, some uh, balance, I think is so, so important. Yeah. Uh, Alex, I think we've acknowledged yeah. you're still in the thick of it. So I think your insight would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, well, I think I think some fabulous points obviously have been made. Obviously, all that empathy, um, compassion, the authenticity, you know, really revealing perhaps our true inner selves is all really mm. important. I suppose I'd only add the um, perhaps a point about leading from behind. So some people have been keen to step up and really step into opportunities. Mm. So what's that one thing? really getting behind your people and just mm. letting them know that they've got the full support. And we've seen some amazing things, both in the, the professional space where people have taken an initiative. So you as a leader will really back them and give them the resource. But we had a, a beautiful moment last week where one of our staff members organised what was called an entertainment hour um, and gathered up a range of staff who, who had various talents in, in music and, and reading, you know, readings and spoken word and so forth, and organised a Zoom sort of concert or soiree, and it kind of took everyone to another place. Yeah. So I think just the ability as a leader to, to back your people, lift yeah. them up, and, and allow them to step into new spaces. Yeah. Um, you'd hope you'd be doing that all the time, but mm. obviously, you know, I suppose it's about going to another level or going into another dimension to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. well, well said. Um, we do have another question there, and Alex alluded to it before. It comes from um, our director of our campaign to create change here at EQ, Andrew Pentland. Did you want to ask that in real time? Yeah, thanks, Kamara. You're doing a great job. <laughs> um, I'm, it's, you, you've touched on it before, but the pandemic, do you see it as a, a catalyst for decision-making for some people who wish to leave a legacy? And I just refer to the big gift that the University of Toronto received recently. Yeah. So that was a huge gift, wasn't it? 250 million. Mm. How much was it? 250 million. Wow. Their biggest okay. gift. So, uh, Andrew, is the question, is it a catalyst for uh, gifts and wills, or is it a catalyst for, for principal giving? Well, both really, but, um, you know, not so much in wills, but I think major and principal gifts are why people are alive. Yeah, so listen, I, I, I can tell you a, a couple of quick stories, and, and one is with a, with a university client here in Australia. Uh, we actually have seen a higher level of giving uh, among staff and, and amongst their donors to, to the institution. Um, so we are actually seeing more people step forward. And in fact, uh, in many cases, voluntarily, and giving not to just causes or faculties that relate to medicine, uh, but to other causes. So as Alex alluded earlier, uh, people who believe in the mission of the institution and actually contributing to that. So we've actually seen that kind of support. Uh, on a non-university client basis, I can tell you, uh, one of my clients um, has seen the highest level uh, of major gift giving and principal gift giving that they've ever seen uh, over the last seven months, uh, eight months. And, uh, uh, you know, they were thinking that they were going to see a, a projected drop of 30% in uh, uh, major gift revenue. We've actually seen that revenue go up. Uh, they've actually passed their goal and uh, uh, we expect to see that to continue. Uh, 2021 will be uh, a different year because as, uh, as Kamara mm. mentioned earlier, it's a bit tough mm. to predict uh, the stats coming out of North America uh, say that uh, there's going to be a, uh, a drop in, in principal giving next year. Uh, but, uh, but I think if we can tell our story well, maybe we'll, uh, uh, we'll be able to compensate for that. Not to mention the impact of what way your, your impending election sways or America's election goes. Ooh, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. We went back and looked at this. Um, so I've got some facts here about uh, giving during the last GFC, certainly in Australia, but there's lots of data you can go to. You can look at the Russell Group. Obviously, there's a bunch of stuff from America. Now, I'm sorry about what I'm about to say because this is the, the first bit of bad news. In the GFC, donations in Australia fell 10% in the, in the year following and then a first five. So 15%. But obviously, that's, 
that that's uh, an average. It was very different for different organisations, I guess, depending on on the particular model of fundraising they were invested in. Um, you looked back further than that, didn't you, as well, Alex? So you could cast it against some yeah, of the... Yeah, we've been back and looked at uh, TechRec and, and, you know, obviously there's been various microclimates around the world. I suppose the positive in this is philanthropy shows a really strong capacity for rebound. So, it you know, things... No doubt things are going to get tough. And obviously what you'll all be thinking about is, you know, how, how does capital become available... Um, depending on who your major and principal gift donors are. I mean, clearly some people have things in very structured uh, forms of giving. They might be trusts. It might be coming from a distribution. So it depends how the asset structure is set up to some extent. And I suppose understanding some of those asset classes and, you know, how they're performing. Um, but I think the upside is clearly there are some businesses that are actually doing very well and increasing. So, you know, where should our focus go? Who's going to have that kind of liquidity and and capital availability, where could we focus our efforts? And I suppose the bottom line is we can look at history, but we just don't know. This is very mm. unprecedented. But I suppose mm. it gets back to if we focus on the fundamentals mm. um, and really try to understand the individual circumstances of each donor, and I suppose mm. map that back to well, what what actually um, is, is the monetary pool from where their giving is derived and really mm. think through, well, how is that being affected in terms mm. of different markets? You know, you, you'll get, you'll start to form an insight that's relevant for your own institution. Yeah, fantastic. I'm conscious we um, we only have your valuable opinions for one hour today, and we're closing in very quickly on the end of our hours. So um, I'm going to make it a fast 30 seconds to each of you. What are you going to do next year that you weren't doing this year? Hmm. Alex, I'll, I'll go with you first. Oh gosh, that's a <laughs> tough one. Next year that we're not doing this year. Um, Look, probably the, the, the honest answer is, um, well, the truly honest answer is I, I really don't know. I think we're going to try and really learn from what we've done this year and obviously take those learnings into next year. Um, I think what, what we're not going to be doing is um, focusing on opportunities that probably have um, very low possibility. Yeah. I think Great. we're not going to be spending on time on things. Yeah. Yeah, um, that don't yeah. really present themselves as having a great opportunity. There's my yeah. answer. Great. Yeah. Sheila? Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, I've, what I didn't say at the beginning of this webinar is that my team is new. Um, I mentioned a new strategy in a business case only in, at the end of 2018. So last year I recruited a lot of new staff um, from overseas. So um, my team doubled in size. So, um, you know, and we've had increased targets, which we're on track to bring in. So I think next year for me, it's continuing to really enforce the strategy, really continue to reinforce that we um, have to focus on the basics, um, get, get, it, get a lot of our fundraising right. Um, absolutely echo Alex's um, comments about focusing on the, the prospects which are going to be um, fruitful and not waste our energies on things which aren't. Um, and, and we've got to support the university. I mean, Otago, like all universities, are going to rely much more heavily on philanthropy to... Um, help the bottom line. So a um, bit of pressure there. Um, but you know, our team is up for it. So yeah, just I think doing that. And Nick, over to you. It might surprise you. I'm letting you have the last word. <laughs> it, uh, it's a bit of a challenge only because of the kind of work we do. I'd, I'd say probably three things. Uh, the first thing uh, is that we will be expanding our work with philanthropists uh, and trying to bring them together uh, much more closer with institutions. So rather than just simply uh, representing an institution or providing advice to institution uh, is looking at how we could bring philanthropists together with government and with uh, with institutions to partner around causes that they're most passionate about. So I think that that'll be uh, a key piece for us. Uh, we're working with Educate Plus to do a benchmarking exercise. Uh, I think the use of information and the use of uh, measurement, I think, is going to take increasing importance for organizations particularly constricting around budgets next year, uh, where people will have to look at how to operate effectively. So I think that kind of information and that kind of analysis mm. will be very, That's very good point. Mm. Uh, and I think the last piece we're going to do is just simply look after each other more and more. I think that's mm. the, the key piece. You know, we, um, we're not a huge team. Uh, we're an international team, but we're not a huge team. Mm. Uh, you come to learn very, very quickly the value of your people. Uh, and I don't think that there's anything more important for us 
uh, and certainly for me in terms of making sure that my team members are okay uh, and that their families are okay as well. So I think that that is going to be critically important for us. Yeah, tremendously important point to end on. And it was nice to look at our whole panel there, all nodding our heads along. So I think that's what we collectively as a sector are certainly going to take into 2021 in an important way. I just want to take this opportunity to close now, but thanking each of you for joining us today. Um, to all of our attendees, thank you very much, whether it's your lunch hour, your morning tea or your afternoon tea, thank you for taking the time to check in with us at Educate Plus for what is undeniably some incredible learnings that Nick, Sheila and Alex have shared with us today. Um, obviously, we have more webinars in this series coming up and they are still focused um, with an international flavour. But Sheila from Educate Plus, I'm going to have to hand back to you because I'm doing an awful job of, on promoting it. I'm not quite sure when the next one is. That's fine. Uh, the next one, I only know because I've got it open beside me. Uh, the next one is on Friday the 30th of October and we'll be continuing um, along this theme, the same kind of topic. What have we done? Uh, what's your experience been and what are you bringing forward? Um, and we will have Kate Robertson and Graham Mullen joining us for that conversation. So please hop online, register. If you've any issues registering, some of you are non-members, please just get in contact with me directly and I will register you for that yeah. webinar. But um, Graham's one of my team and I can I'm say it'll be really good. Great, thank you, Sheila. Guys, thank you so much. Um, this is like I, I say quite often, this is what I love about Educate Plus, uh, the way people share their knowledge and their experience. It's fantastic. Uh, really, really great webinar. So thank you very much, everyone. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank Bye. You. Bye. 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 Bye.